Today on Security Science, we discuss the topic of security automation or lack thereof. Hello, and thank you all for joining us. I'm Dan Mellinger, and today we discuss why the promise of automating cybersecurity has yet to be fulfilled. This is based on a couple articles from my co-host here today, Ed Bellis, who's CTO and co-founder at Kenna Security, now part of Cisco. What's up, Ed? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. So the two articles that you worked on was why data confidence is the key to unlocking security automation and also the much more provocative, is it okay to take your CEO offline to protect the network? So to start this off, you know, you didn't exactly bury the lead here. So I wanted to do a little bit of a preamble from the CSO article, and we'll link both of those on the show notes page as well. But automation has long been something of a pipe dream among security professionals. Sure, it sounds great. Get more done faster without growing your team. That would be a welcome change for security teams that are bogged down with thousands of alerts per day, endless vulnerabilities to investigate, and a growing number of assets to defend. Few teams are large enough to cover everything, and automation would free up a lot of time and resources to focus on the few events that actually require their attention. So with that said, we seem to have like a perfect use case for automation. We have a limited number of humans skilled enough to do work, far too high a volume and velocity of incidents for those humans to handle, and a massive data set with several work streams that are able to automate. So what's holding us back, Ed? <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, just as you said, I did not bury the lead. Uh, confidence in the data, right? So some of the things I've kind of talked about certainly over the last several years now really is you know, because of that problem that you talked about, which is, you know, I've got a lot more that I can do than I have the resources to actually do, right? Mm -hmm. or I have a lot more things that I need to do. Because of that, there's really these two levers that an organization has at their disposal. One, which we've, uh, you know, back, going back to all of our Kenna days, right? Prioritization, being able to relentlessly, relentlessly prioritize what I have down to something that is manageable. But the other piece of that, the other half of that, or the other lever is automation, right? Automate doing more with, with less human interaction. And really, a, a, a mature organization is, is doing both of those things. That said, what we often see is they attempt to sometimes jump the gun and go straight to automation. Mm -hmm. And that leads to a whole lot of problems, as you can imagine messy data in and if you're using data to basically analyze what needs to get done and then automating what gets done if your data is bad if your data if you have lack any sort of confidence in the data if it's if there's false positives or false negatives uh within there anything that you're looking at if you can't trust that data set that you're relying on in order to use or, or promote automation then it's all you're going to be automating all the wrong things and, and it's going to end up being a disaster so really the big thing that holds people back often is the fear of of automating the wrong <laughs> thing, right? Yep. Um, we even go back to I, I think of uh, you know even just the the standard vulnerability management world of all right, well, next step in the process is I want to generate a ticket to get these things patched, right? But if you don't trust the data that's generating that, you end up generating thousands of tickets in an organization, you start, you know, angering everybody in operations who's getting all of these tickets. Suddenly they're not going to do anything because they don't trust what you're sending to them and nothing gets done. Right. So, and that's, 
that's probably the least consequential thing of, of what could happen when you start to automate. So having confidence in that data is super critical. Oh man, I, I hadn't even thought of that. So you're saying accidentally set the wrong parameters to automate something as simple and benign as cutting tickets to IT staff to go patch stuff could result in literally, as, as we know, like hundreds of thousands of tickets being cut, like per patch or something that just bogging down the system you could you could probably deny all service your 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 ticketing system or itsm system of choice uh pretty quickly with if you mess up automation on the vulnerability management side automate equals cut ticket per microsoft vulnerability per system Good luck with your 120 million tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, that, that's super interesting. And what are some of the, I guess, the more riskier ramifications um, of automating based off of data you have less confidence in, dirty data? Um, yeah, so we, we talked about the you know fairly benign of generating a bunch of tickets and, and angering people or at worst case, you know, bringing down your ITSM ticketing system, it, it can get a lot worse, right? Um, automate the, the actual patching of that or automate the blocking of something. Um, suddenly you have a business critical service that is no longer available. Maybe a business critical service that is your main cash register that generates the, the majority of your revenue, taking that down for an extended period of time obviously uh, it is a bad thing. And and we talked a little bit about in, in some of that article is kind of the difference between weighing both the security risk and the business risk. There's a business risk to doing all of these things on the security side, including taking systems down is one of those. Well, and it seems that organizations may have, and we actually know this from P2P research, right? Prioritization of prediction that there's different risk tolerances mm-hmm. and, and that's for patching vulnerabilities, right? But how does that translate over into more of the operational side of like the automation, right? Because security automation tools are not new, right? There's SOAR, right? Yeah. For example, yeah. as a whole class, um, the promise of security automation has been around forever, right? There, there's a lot of the stuff that seems easy to automate but in reality, maybe not so much. Well, I mean, technically speaking, it is easy to automate. And that's kind of part of the problem, right? It's, it's uh, you know, bad, bad data in, bad data out kind of a problem is if you automate the wrong things or you operate your or you start to automate things based on data that is incorrect or bad. That's where it can get go sideways really quickly. Don't get me wrong. I think automation is not only a great thing in security, it's it's really a necessary thing, as we talked about. I mean, the biggest problem that we have in security is we don't have the resources to do everything that needs to get done. But you have to be mature enough and you have to have confidence in that data. And it's really it's kind of a maturity life cycle, right? You're, you're going through it. The first thing you're doing is. You know, we talk about the stages of grief uh, within vuln management all the time, right? The first is (laughs) ignorance is bliss, right? I don't even know that I have any vulnerabilities. I'm not assessing anything. Everything's great. And then I start to go through and I I get through the maturity stages where I start to actually assess. And then I start to find these things. And I start to find that I have security issues all over the place. And then I realize I don't have enough resources to fix all the problems that I have. So the next step I should do is then get into that prioritization. Well, what data do I need at my fingerprint, at my fingertips, excuse me, 
in order to decide whether or not this should be prioritized or should be deprioritized, making sure that I have all of the right data in place to do that. Once I get to that point, right, then I can decide, okay, this is something that's ripe for automation. I'm confident that the data is correct, that it's accurate, that it's timely. Um, and I understand not only the security risks before I automate, but I also understand those business risks of automating this process. Interesting. Well, so I know we're going to get into it, but First, I think uh, would be interesting to get into some of these use cases of both good and bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have a very cool quote in the article, and that is, automation is most helpful at the point at which security risk outweighs business risk. And the cool use case for that is that headline of that second article is, if you take your CEO offline, and like, when is that important? And walk us through the kind of ramifications there. Like, what does that scenario look like? Well, it depends on who your CEO is. <laughs> uh, very, very true, but still. Yeah. Uh, that said, you're, you're, you're right. So, so in, in that case, right, there's a, a great kind of fine-grained use case of we, we can identify what's going to happen, what's going to go wrong, what, what could go right. Also, what's, what's going on in your business at the time. Another great example is, yes, I could take my CEO offline. When are you doing it? What's going on in the business? How are you doing it? How long are you doing it? What's the security risk that you're avoiding by doing this, right? And and again, what does it outweigh that business risk? Another business risk would be, you know, we're in the middle of our financial quarterly close. Can you take your CFO offline right now in the middle of this, right? Uh, it better be a really high likelihood, high impact event uh, from a security standpoint in order to do that because the business risk is is extremely high in that case, right? Yeah, the the downtime of productivity right before like a quarterly earnings or something yep. could have far, far, far more detrimental financial impacts than, say, them getting hit with an attack that may not pull them offline immediately. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting, too, because like to your point, that kind of like lays down the whole underpinning is if you're going to do that – you really should have very high confidence in the backend data that's saying you should have, right? There, yes. Your CFO, your CEO is going to be like, why? And you yes. better have a very, very good reason. So right? having some sort of quantifiable data or, you know, that includes both likelihood and impact in that scenario is going to be really important because you probably can quantify taking your CFO offline in the middle of quarterly close for several hours. You could probably quantify what that risk is. So you better be able to do something very similar to that on the security risk side. Interesting. Well, okay. And now that we're out of the kind of more provocative use case, but you know, on the other side, automation can work well in business. And we have a really cool example of that from our prioritization of prediction reports. Uh, but that's Microsoft phones, right? Yeah. I mean, so it, they've done actually a really good job. And we talked about this in, in several P2P, uh, I think volume five is where we did a lot of focus on this, yep. where we looked at a lot of the vendors, right? And Microsoft in particular, amongst others, and one, because they, they kind of had to, right? When you looked mm -hmm. at the volume of vulnerabilities that were being produced by Microsoft uh, software, they had to be able to do something. So making it operational, making it easy for their customers to ultimately patch that software and remediate those vulnerabilities was crucial. Mm -hmm. And they've done just that, right? So you look at the Patch Tuesday process, you look at their, their automation software like SCCM and, and their patch management systems. It's become almost like when we look at the data uh, around people remediating their vulns, 
not only do they do that really well, in fact, they do that in some cases better than they do the auto update software like Google Chrome. We, we saw both really fast. Microsoft was actually slightly faster, mm-hmm. which, of course, I, I like to throw out the quote that's it, it's funny that people can actually patch something through SCCM faster than they can restart their browser, because that's all <laughs> it really takes for Chrome. Um, but, uh, well, we were talking about it earlier. You never close Chrome. There's just too many tabs to lose. That's right. Although they've even done a good job of reopening all those same tabs that you had when you restart. Uh, I've, it's I've, the business risk. <laughs> there's so much business risk. To, to shutting that browser down. Losing but, those tabs. But they've done, you know, so Microsoft, to your point, they've done this really good job at doing that and it's made it, and, and we saw in, in the P2P volumes that people were able to remediate just a large bulk of vulnerabilities. And, and what we see in the data is this is where you start to have those, those organizations have both of those levers, right? They go and they say, you know what? For these Microsoft phones, it's course of doing business. We run it through our Patch Tuesday process. We patch everything. We don't care because it doesn't take us any more effort to patch one or all of the phones. So we just patch all of the all phones. Of them. Um, now, they might do some prioritization. That if something bumps up to you know, a really high level, they might run that out of band and, and get it patched quicker. Uh, but for Microsoft, they kind of try to just take them all off the table and then prioritize the, the ones that are more difficult to patch. Yeah, and it's an interesting example because this is uh, almost exactly counter to the CEO, right? Where you have one high-value target, whereas uh, Windows machines, most enterprises, they're an asset mix of 85% Windows-based systems, right? So now you're going from a target that is high-value to a very large attack surface that has varying value across the way, right? I actually have some really, really cool stats here as well. But I think the biggest thing is Microsoft has helped create this system of automation in their patch and timing and people and process to make it super effective. So much so that, I mean, Microsoft vulnerabilities are patched on average within 36 days. So holding to Patch Tuesday. Yeah, you compare that to some of the longer polls in the tent where we see, you know, average remediation times well over a year. So that's incredibly fast, comparatively speaking. Yeah, we were looking at network devices, right? Some of the stuff was 3.6 years Mm -hmm. on average to get patched from. I think that's just them actually replacing that network device, not (laughs) patching it. But (laughs) it it goes with the refresh cycles. That's right? right. Yeah. The switch comes out, new one goes in. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's just interesting because these are targets of opportunity as well, right? So 70% of Windows systems have at least one open vulnerability with a known exploit, which we know is rare, right? 2% mm-hmm. um, of all CVEs. And they all have an average of roughly 119 vulnerabilities any given month, right? And so Microsoft had to automate this because there's just literally no way for people to go individually patch this stuff. Yeah, you're, if you were not automating your Microsoft patches, your vulnerability debt would get so high so quickly that it, it would, <laughs> it, the, the, doing that via refresh cycle would uh, mean almost guaranteed exploitation event. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and what's another scenario? Like um, you brought up the, uh, the consequences of something like taking down your e-commerce site to patch mm-hmm. a bunch of bones. Like what is... Imagine automating that, right? You, that's certainly not something that you're 
you're going to do it all, right? You're going to have something in place that says, okay, how do we take downtime or how do we cycle over to uh, a backup or how do we load balance this across and then patch and then load balance it back? You're, you're going to have a plan in place. And, and you know, even the prioritization process itself, right? So when I think back to, you know, and the back end, what we're doing under the hood at Kenna. Yeah. In terms of even the algorithm, the machine learning that we do to kind of figure out and predict what exploit is or which vulnerabilities are going to be exploited in the future, all of these types of things, we have a man in the middle process here, right? We have a supervised learning process because you need that sort of expertise to understand and make sure that <laughs> really that, that the robots aren't going off the rails uh, to, to, <laughs> <laughs> right to, to basically ensure that you you are properly uh, prioritizing the things that you're prioritizing so you know we looked at a lot of data right we looked at not only the, you know, any given vulnerability, the the chances of seeing an exploitation event for that particular vulnerability, we started to look at it on a per asset basis, like you were talking about, how many vulns mm -hmm. are on this asset. Now, how many of those are exploitable? Now look at how many assets across an entire enterprise. And then what is the likelihood ultimately of any one machine being exploited, right? Or having an exploitation event due to one of those vulnerabilities. And it's extremely low. Now, I'll throw a big caveat out here and what we've been talking about almost this entire time when it comes to the security risk side is targets of opportunity, right? So yeah. if it is a targeted attack, if somebody is like to go back to the CEO article, somebody is going specifically after your CEO for whom they are or whom you are, that's that's a that's a different calculus, right? Yep. But for these targets of opportunity, which, by the way, from the things that we see on all of these uh, various reports, tends to actually be the majority of the cases are either targets of opportunity or in some cases, actual human error that end up in these in these types of either exploitation events or breaches. Well, and that makes a lot of sense, right? Because um, in general, targets of opportunity, the wide net cast, that's where most of the cyber criminal activity seems to be concentrated, at least as it relates to earning money nowadays, right? Ransomware campaigns, all that good stuff. They're trying to cast wide nets overall. That's right. And fortunately or unfortunately, attackers are just as lazy as the rest of us, right? Um, and they find something that works and they keep using it until it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> it's interesting because that makes that side of the automation process even more compelling, right? Because that frees up these very, very highly technically skilled resources to go track down maybe the stuff that's actually targeting you, right? That's like right. Some of the other things that may be um, a depth adversary. That's right. I mean, we always talk about how it frees you up to take your high value resources and focus on strategic things. Some of those strategic things could be preventing a target attack, could be a bunch of other security things that you could be doing across your enterprise. But Make sure that the people that are your most valuable are working on the most valuable things. You know, I want to dig in just really quick and tap your experience as well to get the data clean in order to get this kind of analysis done. Like, how do you clean up the back end data to get clean enough data set to be able to correlate this stuff? Right. <laughs> um, Kenna, 10 years, right? Uh, several versions of the algorithm. Like, I've heard the stories early on that you guys found out it was not a lack of data problem. It was a dirty data problem, right? So what are some best practices to try to like look look out for, filter that data down? 
Yep, absolutely true. In fact, so it was, it kind of matured over time too, right? There was, there was always the messy data problem specifically in vulnerability management, but I would, I would argue it's probably in a lot of areas of, of security in general is a messy data problem. Yep. I remember, you know, go way back to my days uh, running security at Orbitz, right? And it was a different problem, right? We talked about the, the lack of data. I don't have enough data to, in, in order to make informed quantitative decisions, which is why we were always in this qualitative a sort of this feels bad, red, green, yellow approach, right? Yep. You know, fast forward, we now have a ton of data. In fact, it, we it's the opposite problem. We have too much data, right? <laughs> Some of it, and, the, and within that data, that yes, it's messy. There's also false positives. We probably still have false negatives amongst all of the noise, but it's a different world and a different problem that, that, that we have to deal with now. And so one of the things, so going back to Kenna is, you know, you got to have some ground truth that you're measuring yourself against, right? So for us, it was all about, you know, successful exploitation events in the wild. That was ultimately what I'm trying to prevent. So mm-hmm. if I can use that and I have that as ground truth data, I can compare and contrast that and, and figure out what are the features of the model that basically are going to be predictive towards that and make sure that I, I have that. And I'm weeding out false positives, things that even, uh, you know, triggers and, and all of these different sensors will sometimes pull out false positives. So you've got to have that human in the loop that's that's kind of looking at these things and, and making sure that that doesn't happen. So there is even even on that side of the house on the, you know, cleaning up your data and prioritizing stuff side, there's a lot of work that has to be done manually, right? Yep. So that you can automate, right? So the, the irony is, is, is you need people to manually do work in order to automate that work downstream. And there's just th- this constant state of, of, of data cleaning. I, you, you ask any of the data science teams around, you know, probably, you know, 90% of that team's job is actually kind of cleaning data. It's not doing all of, you know, the exciting research we, we think about that's associated with machine learning or, or uh, you know, natural language processing or any other things that they're doing. It's, well, I, I, I spent most of my day cleaning data, but it's necessary, right? <laughs> yeah. And obviously... The, the other thing is, is if you've got, uh, you know, we've got the, the fortunate situation of being at the center of activity across hundreds or even thousands of enterprises, right? So you get to see that, you know, 100x, 1000x more, right? So you can kind of, uh, the I, I forget the analogy, something about rising tides and floating boats, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ultimately you, you, you can use that to the benefit uh, of, of all of those organizations, which is certainly an advantage as well. Well, and kind of like building... CVSS off of CVE, building EPSS off of some of the CVSS characteristics, Ken algorithms built off of a lot of this stuff as the data has been refined and That's right. better articulated over time. That's uh, super interesting. And speaking of data, I did want to get in because you guys crunch the numbers on what the odds are for any individual. So the likelihood of any employee, in this case, it could be the CEO, mm-hmm. um, or it could be me or it could be you, but being compromised by as a target of opportunity, right? So yeah. getting caught up in that wide net ultimately. And so at a baseline, we know that it's roughly 2% of all CVEs are ever exploited. And within that 2%, only about 6% of those are actually seen in more than 1% of organizations, right? So most organizations 
don't have one of those very small number of CVEs that exist. And these are whole numbers, right? So we're talking millions and millions and millions. Ultimately, when you boil this down as a, any individual at a target of opportunity, chances of them being popped is about 0.0012%. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's some variables in there. I, I, want, I wouldn't say that's a hard and fast number. In fact, even the 2% number, we see fluctuations in that year over year by a percent or two. Yep. Uh, but but nothing. The point of it is, and we, we tried to get as quantitative as we could, but the real takeaway here is it's easily, you know, in the single tenths of percentage of a single percent. <laughs> so yep. far less than 1% chance that this would happen, right? Uh, so that said, do you have quantitative metrics on the business impact side, right? Yep. So we talk about the security risk. There's your security risk of any one individual being exploited at any given time. So what is the the business risk of that CEO being taken offline for whatever it is, several hours, one hour, that that all depends, right? So, uh, you know, it depends on the timing and and when you're going to do it. Maybe, you know, pushing a patch out to my CEO's laptop at 9 p.m. tonight, maybe that's that's not that bad, right? It's not going to take that long and then they'll be back up and running in an hour. Yep. But automating that is is a different story, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, and given those kind of numbers and like knowing that wide nets, right? The large attack services and attackers are playing the numbers game just as much as defenders should be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What will it take to get businesses comfortable automating these security actions, right? Um, Baby steps, like everything in security. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) it's like, all right, first we're going to do this manually and we're going to do this manually many times until we're comfortable with it and now we think okay this is working let's let's automate a piece of this right and see how that goes yep. and then that's going to work and then they're going to automate the next step in the process and see how that goes and they're going to supervise it and make sure that it's working good and then when it's working good they're going to feel comfortable and they'll continue baby steps <laughs> yep no magic absolutely well and then uh to pull in the latest industry buzzword, right? The newest hot tech um, that promises this to... Is, sounds exciting already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> promise to help companies do everything and anything and or nothing um, related to the automation of security is uh, kind of the promise of XDR. So extended detection and response seems like most, uh, if not all of the platform-based security players are all talking about XDR, which... Um, I mean, it's no surprise, right? It's driving a lot of business right now. And it yeah. the premise is to help automate detection across a wide range of uh, devices. And then, therefore, you can go you know, investigate, respond faster, be safer, all that good stuff. Um, you know, give us a little download. Well, I mean, XDR has all the right building blocks there, right? Because yeah. uh, ultimately, when you think about what, what it is and what, it, what its purpose is, is, detect and respond using all of these different data sources to do that, right? So one, I've got all of the data sources available to me. I'm going to go through all of this. I'm going to uh, hopefully I'm, uh, I'm using this to in some sort of way to prioritize, right? So it's it, 
that you don't take that step out just just because you know you're you're talking about multiple sources. In fact, it, it should help add more and more context the more sources that you have, right? Which is going to tell me a lot about how risky this is, this event uh, that's coming in, this incident, mm-hmm. and is it affecting important assets or important business processes, and how many, and what's the likelihood of it spreading beyond where it is to uh, right now, based on all, all of this different fidelity that I'm getting from all of these different tools. So one is it's got the building block of being able to consume all of this different data and context to ultimately hopefully give you uh, confidence in in the data, but ultimately help you to prioritize and and use some sort of risk-based approach. And it typically has some sort of automation capabilities in it as well, right? We talked about the SOAR market earlier. A lot of the XDRs have some sort of SOAR capability built within them as well, right? So it's basically taking all of that stuff that we've been talking about and trying to put it all together. It doesn't preclude you, though, from doing all of the prereq things that we've been talking about, right? To take those baby steps to understand, okay, I I trust this data. This is real. It's not a false positive. I understand the risk. Uh, I understand what the likelihood of something further happening uh, in terms of an incident. Mm -hmm. And it's worth me now automating this because I've gone through this process several times manually and I feel comfortable with what steps B, C, and D are. Got it. So just breaking this down, Kenna, we, we're typically looking at vulnerabilities, and that's kind of the lens that we look at a lot of stuff through, and it's primarily infrastructure-based, right? Mm-hmm. And so XDR is arguably evolution out of the EDR space, so endpoint detection response, endpoint telemetry, which is huge. We look at that. We've looked at the asset basis for, I think that was volume five as well, right? That's right. That's right. Yep. And then it goes beyond, right? So more baseline data. So telemetry from uh, servers, networking, mm-hmm. uh, cloud environments, hopefully uh, applications, email, all that stuff, right? So a larger base data set, which also I'm, I would imagine takes a much larger effort to normalize. And it's messier, right? Yeah. <laughs> we talked about messy data problem. That, that definitely sounds like one to me. Um, now, the, the use cases or the kind of purpose built for them are, are different, right? So we always talked about in the vulnerability management side of the house, we're in the, we're in the predict and prevent business, right? The hygiene side of the house, making sure that those exploitation events do not occur. The XDR side is the detect and respond side. And usually what you're saying there is at least something has occurred, right? And now how bad that something is depends. Um, and you can get a lot more, the more diverse sources you have, the more fidelity that you're going to have to understand how bad it is or how likely it is to spread. But it's, it's, they do feed each other, right? So I, I can think of, you know, Kenna and all the data that's in the vulnerability management side of the house, pushing that into an XDR is going to give you that much more context, right? So if an exploitation event, God forbid, occurred, right? What's the likelihood of spread? What's the impact of that exploitation event happening? Where is it happening? What is it happening to? All that sort of thing. Um, is it malware, et cetera? And now I have the context of everything else that's coming in to my XDR, whether it's on the, the network detection side of the house, the file detection or endpoint protection systems, email, et cetera, I can kind of piece together the entire event and figure out what's happening and what do I need to do about it. 
Interesting. So if we think about like more of the VM side is hygiene, right? Yeah. Let, let's take care of a, the vast majority of things before they can happen. XDR and or EDR side that there's response detect and respond is in the name, right? So you're looking for smoke yes. ultimately, and then you got to go triage what out of all these signals is a fire ultimately. That's right. How, or how bad is the fire? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not that bad, yeah. but um, that addresses the other side of the equation, right? We talked about the 0. 0.00, you know, one, 2%, right? Um, but then the EDR side may handle something that is an active incident based off of target of uh, attack, right? They're, they're, purposefully trying to find something i mean likelihood feeds both equations of risk Mm -hmm. but likelihood means something different on both sides right so on on the on the hygiene side right the likelihood of that incident or exploitation event happening on the 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 detect and response side of the house you know something has already happened the likelihood of it becoming big or worse or you know a bigger impact is where you're, you're trying to gauge to figure out, you know, what I automate to take care of this right away. What do I bring a triage team in for, et cetera. Yep. All it's different depending on that equation. Gotcha. So, you know, on the VM side, would it be fair to say that successful automation would be being able to basically let the, let the systems decide what most of the high risk stuff would be the things that have limited business risk and then allow you to like cut some remediation pathways right out of that. Yeah. And then on the EDR, XDR detect and respond side, automation would be essentially triaging things down to a point where mostly meaningful things are going to humans to investigate. Yes. In fact, you might even say um, there's some automation opportunity even before even for those meaningful things that that go to an analyst, right? You want to, you might want to do quarantining or, you know, cut off, you know, network access or do whatever, limit the scope of damage Mm -hmm. of what may have already occurred until that analyst can manually come in and and do something about that too. Pull your CEO offline. That's right. (laughs) Why couldn't I talk to the CFO? My emails wouldn't go out. You were quarantined. (laughs) Interesting. Well, I guess... Last question before we sign off here is, do you see a future where we have automation VM through response? I don't think we have a choice, right? Um, the attack surface continues to grow, right? I mean, we we talk about, and it, the good news is, and we, we, we profess this all the time over at Kenna, is things are getting better, right? It's becoming a, easier to secure things now than certainly than it was 10, 15 years ago. Things are becoming a little bit more secure by default, which is also a great thing. Teams are doing a better job at remediation. People are getting quicker. They're making things easier. But on the downside is, is there's... There's way more assets today than there was a year ago, than there was five years ago, than there was 10 years ago. Part of that is is the proliferation of everything that we're doing, uh, again, whether it's traditional IT or IoT or, or whatever the case might be. But the other thing that we see often is, is almost nothing ever goes away, right? It's like, oh, we can't, that, that system's been around for 20 years. We can't do anything about it. We don't even, you know, the, 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 the team that managed this left a long time ago and everybody's afraid to touch it. Yep. And those things go on in, perpet- in perpetuity for, uh, as well. So 
we continue to improve, but the attack surface grows and grows and grows. And the amount of resources that we have, we can't, we can't just rely on a manual thing. It's, it's gotta be kind of end to end. We gotta be able to use all of this data that we have uh, in order to both prioritize, but ultimately to automate as well. Automate or else. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ed. Um, really, really prescient, honestly, at this time frame. But uh, to your point, like we actually have seen things improve, even with our own customer base and all that over time. So, um, and we know automation works. So, right. how can we do it more? Yeah. So, I mean, the, we know automation works because we proved that in prioritization to prediction. Uh, volume four. That was the that was where we married the survey data with the quant data. Yes. And what one of the things that we did was we figured out who are the top performers in remediation, and then we started asking a bunch of things about their remediation programs. Turned out automation was one of the biggest things, right? So we we talked about people being able to automate their their uh, Microsoft remediation through SCCM, and there's a bunch of other tools out there to do that, and people do that well do vulnerability remediation very well. But the same can be said for a whole bunch of areas of security, including the detect and response side of the house. But you gotta be able to ultimately to trust that data, to clean that data and making sure that you have good data going in or you're gonna be automating uh, some really <laughs> bad things. You're gonna be automating yourself out of a job. That's right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ed, as always. And I will go ahead and link all of the resources we talked about on our show notes page. And also, if you uh, want to get some ISC squared credits, go on the source page as well. Uh, you get some just for listening. So, Ed, again, thank you very much. And everyone have a secure day. 